Uh, we're just two minutes away from the afternoon. Uh, we talk about Galatians 5 today. And um, before that, I just want to share with you an interesting article that I read. How many of you know Dick Cheney? Dick Cheney was the ex-vice president of USA just, just before uh, this current term. He was uh, ex-VP of uh, USA uh, for George Bush, the, the, the smaller Bush, right? The, the Chinese called it Xiao Bu Si, right? The small Bush. And, um, well, you know, Dick Cheney was born in 1941, um, same as my mom. Uh, so he's 70 years old this year. And recently they did an interview with him. And the interview was titled, uh, The Heart of Dick Cheney. You know, Dick Cheney is a survivor of five heart attacks. Five heart attacks. And the first one he got was at age 37. That was in 1978. And the last one he got was uh, when he was 69. That was last year. And in, the, in terms of the chronology of the um, heart attacks, the first one uh, at 37, he was uh, campaigning. Right? He was campaigning politics. Uh, the second one at 1984, he was campaigning. Uh, the third one in 1988, he was also campaigning. In year 2000, he had a heart attack when they were recounting the votes. I, I don't think he had a heart attack when they recounted. I, I think while they were recounting, he suffered a heart attack. And in 2010, uh, he was uh, already retired. So um, and that was one of the worst ones. Now, Dick Cheney currently wears this wool vest uh, around him. And it says it holds a small computer near his abdomen. Right? So there's a small computer near his abdomen. And on either side of it, there are two battery packs. The size of, I don't know why they use this analogy, uh, video cassette tapes. I don't know how many of you know video cassette tapes, but I know. Uh, and they're they are not small, they're not big, but by the side, they're two. And these are two batteries for that computer. And uh, they're good for 10 hours. Okay, so he charges them. What, what do they do? Uh, this thing is called, uh, it's quite a mouthful, left ventricular assist device, LVAD. And it's a turbine, right? It's basically a turbine implanted near his heart's major chamber to propel blood into his aorta, which I think is a big artery and to circulate it through his body. Because his heart, after five attacks, with each attack, of course I, I know this uh, Raj is here, so he'll probably correct me if I'm wrong. With each attack, the muscle dies, right? And, and with each, with each um, uh, muscle that's dead, it gets harder and harder to pump the heart. So Dick's heart is, I think, kind of weak. So that's why he needed this, uh, what you call turbine, to propel it. You know, also since 1985, uh, under his shoulder, he's got this thing called a defibrillator. Right? It's the size of a pocket watch, just under his shoulder. And it will send an electric jolt to his heart if it detects uh, an abnormal heart rhythm. And it saved him at least once in 2009 when it gave it a jolt. Uh, you almost think this guy is like a bionic man or something, right? I mean, it's just all these things. But can you imagine that all this time, uh, when he had all these things... Uh, he was Gerald Ford's chief of staff. That's a president, in case those of you don't know. Right? Um, he was a dozen odd years, that's about 12 plus years in Congress. He was defense secretary to the big Bush, senior Bush. And you know, senior Bush did Desert Storm and all that. He was defense secretary. 
and then he was vice president to Small Bush. All this time, you know what fascinates me about Dick Cheney is this: how did this guy live such a full life with all these limitations? You know, all these lesser people like us uh, would have uh, retired, gone to a cave, or, or stay in a hospice, or, or, or something. And when they interviewed it, he owes, he, he says it very matter-of-factly that, um, well, I'm just, I'm just fortunate that medical technology has always been one step ahead of my heart attack, right? As in, as in all, these, all these things. Because he was just saying in the 1960s, a defibrillator, the size of this thing that's under, the, the, the pocket, the, the watch size thing that's under his shoulder, in the 1960s, it was the size of a washing machine. So it, it just shows how, how fortunate he's been. Uh, medical providence, providence, I would call it. Right? That he's just been one step ahead. But I think, I think it's more than that. It's, not, it's just not just technology, right? Because technology is kind of open for everyone. And when the interviewer asked him, uh, you know, most people who have open heart surgery, uh, it's life-changing. And did you have that? Was it life-changing? And this was what he replied. He said, well, you, you, you could be life-changing and some people become so fixated on the disease that they, well, they don't get on with their lives. You've got to get on with your life. That was what he said, right? He said, well, some people, true, fixated on the disease, they don't get on with their life, but you've got to get on with your life. So if I may sum it up for him, he probably won't hear this sermon, so I can sum it up any way I want. Uh, but if I can sum it up for him, it is this. One, on the one hand, there's medical providence, right? So he's just fortunate that technology has just been running ahead. The second thing is um, this, this attitude of getting on with his life. And if you don't understand that, maybe even more layman terms, Dick Cheney's philosophy is very simple. What I can do, I do. What I can't do, I leave it to those who can, right? Which is, in this case, the doctors and his scientists. There was an evidence of providence that freed him from the futility of worry. You get what I mean? There was this evidence of providence that freed him from the futility of worry because he just... He just uh, it's a bit like the wisdom advocated by Jesus. And I just wanted to show you this from Matthew 6. Jesus tells us, look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or gather crops. They don't put away crops in storerooms. But your Father who is in heaven feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? And then he asks a rhetorical question, right? Can you add even one hour to your life by worrying? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I think Jesus says this much more eloquently, that there is evidence of providence. Just look, right? Just look around. You know there's evidence of providence. And let that free you from the futility of worry. The futility of worry. You know, our passage today starts with this. It is for freedom, in Galatians 5.1, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now Paul is kind of saying the same thing here that Jesus says or Jesus said 
and a bit like what I, I surmised for uh, Dick Cheney. Paul, in, in this verse, it says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying here there is evidence of providence. Christ has set you free. That's provided for. That's providence. And please don't go back to futility. Please don't go back to the yoke of slavery. You get what I mean? There's evidence that Christ has set you free. So please don't go back. And, and, and that kind of summarizes what the three, three preachers before me has been, uh, or four, have been, uh, four or three, uh, four, uh, four, have been uh, saying all the while. That there is evidence of providence. Jesus has done his part. And please don't go back and redo all that groundwork all over again. Don't go back to futility. I just want to recap what this freedom is that Christ has won for us. Galatians 4, 3, 7. I think this was uh, Edwin's passage uh, last week. And it says, So also we were in the past in slavery, but when the set time had fully come, and it has come, God sent His Son to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. Okay? So this, this to recap, is that freedom. Not only a physical freedom, not only a freedom from the law, but it's a freedom afforded by reconciliation. Okay, this is very important to remember, okay? That this is the freedom that we have in Jesus. Let me give you an example. Most of you have heard of um, the Yellow Ribbon Project. Now, you know, you know what's the tagline of the Yellow Prison, uh, yellow, <laughs> yellow Prison, Yellow Ribbon <laughs> Project? The tagline is, Unlocking the Second Prison Door. What do you think is the second prison door? What do you think is the second prison door? It says on their website, and I, and I, and I took it from there, uh, that second prison door is when the ex-prisoner comes out to the world and that spirit of suspicion and mistrust that makes them always cannot get a job and that never get kind of assimilated back into society. In fact, they see that as a bigger prison than the physical uh, prison that they were in. And that's why a lot of them kind of uh, go back in, because that's where they feel at home. That's where, in the sense, they feel there's community and there's value. Very sad. And that, I, I wanted to highlight that because it, it gives you, because when you read this whole verse, it looks like a lot of words and you don't understand what it is. But when I put this yellow ribbon project into the context, you know what it means. Recon freedom by reconciliation is very important. Right? And a lot of us suffer from uh, imprisonment inside because we don't have reconciliation in relationships. So although we are walking in freedom physically, a lot of us are gripped as prisoners inside because there's, there's no reconciliation. This could be either with a parent or with, with a, a colleague or with, with a sibling. So I just wanted to use that, that yellow prison, yellow, <laughs> yellow ribbon project uh, example to, to illustrate for you what Christ 
has won for you on the cross. This reconciliation, don't, don't uh, underestimate the freedom within. That is what Christ has won for us. God broke through the mistrust. God broke through the suspicion. There is now a father-son, father-child, father-daughter relationship because of what Jesus has done. Nothing due to what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. So that, there's that freedom in that reconciliation. Okay, later we can talk a bit more about that. But why did Paul have to warn us of this, um, this, this, this uh, going back to fertility, going back to the yoke of slavery? Because I think there are two robbers. There are two robbers of freedom. There are two robbers of freedom. And one of them I would call, the first robber I would call fear. You know fear? And uh, I, went, I, went through, I went through quite a season of um, uh, uh, physical suffering recently. I think I shared the last message. Post my last message, uh, because I have kidney stones, I passed out blood in my urine. And then one day I went to the toilet, I had uh, bloody diarrhea. And uh, that's not a figure of speech, uh, that's literal. Um, and uh, it was, uh, it, really, um, it really freaked me out because I was just sharing a G4 and Edwin and all that, that. What's happening? Blood is coming out here, there, everywhere, right? And uh, it wasn't funny. I, I tried to make it funny, but it wasn't funny. I was scared. And I can tell you during that season when I was going through some checks and all that, uh, oh, I wish I could say like Dick Cheney that live life. But I was fixated on the disease. I was, I, was, uh, I was imprisoned in that sense by fear. So fear can be a, a robber because let me tell you what went through my mind during that time. It was, is this judgment? Is this punishment? Is this punishment for not pleasing God? You know, it's very natural for uh, people who are going through that fear uh, uh, season to, to think of these things. So fear is a robber of that freedom that you, are, you, you feel imprisoned by that fear. That's one. What's the other robber of freedom? I call it the flesh. All right? So the first one is fear. The second one is the flesh. My hypothesis is this. Lah, my hypothesis is that I didn't, do, I didn't do intensive research on this. But I think some of us, including myself, when we are well, we prefer religion nah, and including this Christian life to be very neatly parcelled and controlled. That means it's in a nice little parcel, it's controllable. Um, it must be predictable, manageable, controllable. Actually, we, deep down inside, we're not very comfy with this Abba Father thing. Right? Because Abba Father indicates in the original language a very intimate kind of relationship. Okay? We, 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 this is my hypothesis, lah, huh? uh, that we prefer it to be quite neatly parcel control. Let me give you an example uh, to illustrate this because some of you don't look very convinced. Um, guess, uh, guess which is easier for me. Going to the gym or building a relationship with my child. I've tried both, uh, in case you don't know. I've tried both. And trust me, uh, 20 laps three times a week uh, is much easier than building a relationship with someone. You, you get what I mean? Sometimes when it's neatly parceled and very manageable and very predictable, just go to the gym and I, I try to do 20 laps uh, three times a week or four times a week. Very easy one, right? It's just, just, just about 11.30, you try to beat the lunch, lunch crowd, you just run across, do your 20 laps, have lunch, come back. That's it. It's very controllable, very predictable. You know what happens. 
But building a relationship with a child, with my child, I have three, uh, is very uncontrollable. It's very uh, kind of thing. Right? It's, it can be frustrating. It, they, they, they talk to you when you don't want to talk to them. When you don't talk to them, they don't talk to you. And um, it's, it's difficult. And I think you know, you don't have to, have to be a father to know that relationships are like that. Right? Relationships are, are more tricky. And I think that's why sometimes for some of us, we, we, we prefer to live the Christian life in the flesh. We want to, it to be predictable. We want it to be um, set in a certain way. And we want to run it that way. So there's an absence of relationship. And in the absence of that relationship, then there's an absence of that freedom. So fear, a very gripping kind of thing that can keep you, can rob you of your freedom. Second thing is this flesh thing, right? You want to control it. And um, the Bible warns us in the next verse, here's the futility of the flesh or fear, right? If you seek to be justified and declared righteous and to be given a right standing with God through the law, meaning through the flesh, try yourself. You are brought to nothing and you're separated from Christ. You're severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, from God's gracious favor and unmerited blessings. So I just want to deposit this truth with you that please don't go back to the yoke of slavery. Please don't go back to that, to that futility because the Bible clearly tells us in Galatians 5.4 here that it's not going to work. It's not going to work. No, no matter how, how, how predictable and controllable it is. I want to give you two beautiful examples to illustrate this evidence of providence and that can free us from futility. There are two examples in the Bible that I find uh, quite, quite, quite meaningful and quite, quite nice to share. I may have shared some with you guys before, but uh, if I've done that, then let this be a reminder. You know Elijah? Elijah, when, when, when he said that there will be no rain, and then he went to this, this place called Zarephath, and then he met a widow, and then he told the widow, can you feed me? The widow actually wanted to die already. But he told her, why, why don't you just feed me? And, uh, and, and Elijah promised her, because she actually said, actually, I just want to die. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to feed you. But uh, Elijah told her, just go and just feed me. And the promise is this. And he gave her a very interesting promise. He said, that bowl of flour and that jar of oil that you have will not run dry until when? Until the drought is over. Now, I, I never noticed that, but I thought, why until the drought is over? Why not forever? Right? I mean, just good life, right? Forever, right? And, and, but it was until the drought is over. If you're going to read First Kings, it, is, it will not run out until the drought is, drought is over. Second, second interesting example I saw. When the people went to the promised land, after they have cultivated crops, uh, and when they, when they reap their first crop, manna stopped. Uh, you know manna, right? Manna is that food from heaven. Stopped. So why, why didn't manna go on forever, right? I mean, just don't have to work, just go outside, collect, eat. Isn't that happiness? But, but it seems to show me the same principle here. That God longs to work in partnership with us. So in a drought season, in a desert season, there will be providence. So when he knew that we could not save ourselves, he sent his son in providence 
to free us because that part we cannot do. Right? He freed us. But then after that, when the drought is over or when you're in the promised land, there is a cultivation. You've got you to gotta do your part. Right? I, I want you to get, see, see this, this beauty, this, this, this thing that I was sharing with you just now about Dick Cheney. He was very clear. Some things I leave to my doctors. Some things I leave to myself. It was no such thing as just laying back and all that. So when we talk about this freedom thing, it's important to remember that as well. There is that providence that brings us across the bridge where we cannot do anything about. And then after that, there is a second part where we can cultivate, where we can grow, which we're going to talk about. So what you do what you can and leave what you can't to God. And I don't say this in a fatalistic way. I don't say this in a, ah, oh, just leave what you can to God and just hope for the best. Actually, the Bible tells us uh, very clearly in the repeat of these verses that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Christ really wants you to be free. That's one. The second one is we are now sons and heirs because when we are a son, we are reconciled to the Father, obviously. And the second thing is you have an inheritance. So this is, not, this is not a fatalistic statement to just hope for the best. The Bible promises us that there is an inheritance for us because of what Jesus has done. If you still struggle with this whole meritocracy thing, uh, let, me, let me share with you this. In my workplace, if I tell you it's not, merit, if it's not based on merit, you'll probably... Um, be up in arms and say that's an awful workplace to be in, right? Of course, I know there's no perfect workplace and sometimes the boss just likes your face and all that kind of thing. But uh, by and large, we are totally okay when somebody says, in this place of employment, it's all based on merit. No favors, right? Everybody, I think, is okay with that. But if I tell you that my favor and love for my children is purely based on merit you'll probably throw your shoe at me, right? Uh, I will go even one step further. In my personal experience, in my family, the weaker one and the not so able to merit favor, the one who's not so able to merit favor, we are usually much more sensitive to. We show, in that sense, a, a bit more favor and help to build that child's confidence in our love. And that's, that's the paradigm I want you to switch from because a lot of us continue to think that we are in God's employment. We are not in God's employment. That's why we don't need to talk about meritocracy. We are in God's family. That's important to remember. You are God's child. So that is done, sealed, delivered kind of thing. Okay? So it's not about meritocracy. It is about being in God's family and being reconciled to him. You know, when Dick Cheney suffered his first heart attack at 37, um, he asked his doctor, should I stop my political career? Is this the end of my political aspirations? His doctor told him, no, hard work never killed anyone. Now, of course, that was 1978, lah, but uh, <laughs> since then, we have all progressed. Uh, but, but, you know, that, that, got, that got Dick Cheney moving. You know, hope, I just want to give you this principle. You know, hope, when it's founded on truth, uh, liberates us. You get what I mean? 
So Dick Cheney was here on a hospital bed, and he was, he was being diagnosed as having a heart attack, and it was serious and all that in 1978. Um, and when he asked his doctor, the professional that you are, the authority that you are, the experience and the wisdom that you have, should I stop being a politician? And when the, he got the answer that no, you can continue being a politician, just take care of these few things, uh, it liberated him. It liberated him to do what he did. Lah, huh? And he had, I would say, in the eyes of this world, a fairly fulfilling career. And in the same way, I think this is, this is what the basis of our hope. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. We are free to grow. We have been freed to grow. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. What, what does that mean? It means that as we, as we enter by faith into this relationship with Jesus, we can believe, we know it will happen, that we will be transformed from glory to glory, more and more into Christ-likeness. That's what it's saying. And I want this... I want this truth to liberate you. I want this truth to give you that impetus to know that I am free to grow. My destiny uh, is growth. Because that's what it says here. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. It's not talking about that now you are righteous in God's eyes. Of course you are righteous in God's eyes already. This is talking about that Christ-likeness that comes as you walk with Jesus. And this is a promise. This is your destiny. This is the end game. You will become more and more Christ-like because of what Jesus has done. He has freed you to be more and more Christ-like. We are freed to grow. You know, recently I told you that I had, I had um, bloody diarrhea and uh, I was really worried because, uh, you know, one of the bad things is when you have a, a medical problem and you go and Google it. Now. Google really freaks you out. No? Don't Google, okay? and ask some good doctors because you, I don't know, is a negative person in you or what? You tend to choose those, the most scary one, right? Because actually there are many that say it's not that bad, but you, you, tend, you usually choose those that start with cancer and all that kind of thing. And, um, and I, I had that and I knew that my colon was not too good based on what I see coming out. Now it got me pretty riled up and worried. I was, I was really riled up because you, you can appreciate that since March, I've been almost a basket case, right? And, um, and when this thing came, uh, it also got me thinking, if only I had listened to all that advice to take more fruits, more fiber, less fried stuff, less wicked stuff. Oh God, I hope it's not too late. So I went through this thing called a colonoscopy, where they put a tube through your backside and um, they go inside to see if everything is well. And praise God, at least according to the colonoscopy, uh, all is well. Okay? Which still worries me, why did I have bloody diarrhea? But uh, they went in and they saw, hey, all is well. So I praise God. You know how I felt? You know how I felt after I got the results that um, my colonoscopy is clear? You know, I felt I had a new lease of life. You know, the grass looked greener. The, everybody looked nicer. Uh, life was good. You have newfound resolve to love your kids more and, and, and all that kind of thing. You remember? Hope based on truth liberates. 
And when I saw the colonoscopy re- report, which I hope is truth, uh, the hope based on that truth tells me I have a new lease of life. At least nothing wrong in my colon, right? Uh, there are many other parts of me, but at least that part of me, uh, it's, the truth is I'm okay. And that hope based on truth liberates. But here's the next thing, right? My new lease of life presented me with two choices. You probably know what the two choices are. It means indulge again in, in, in a life of unrestrained binging and, and eating or rein in my appetite and actively cultivate habits of a proper diet. Now to date, I'm happy to tell you I chose the latter, which is I didn't go back to binging, I didn't go back to, to, to oyster omelette and carrot cake for lunch and, and dinner and supper and all that kind of thing. Uh, I, I, I eat, um, it's, if you look at my diet now, it's, it's awesome, right? I'm, I'm, I'm really good and uh, I feel healthy. Um, I'm eating brown rice and, and salad and fish and chicken. I haven't had beef for a long time. Um, and and that, those are the two choices I give, right? The new lease of life doesn't mean that I will stop binging, right? The new lease of life just means, okay, you get a new restart, right? You, you, get, you, get, to, you, get, you get a crack at it again. And it, it, it depends on what are the choices you make. The, the point I want to make is freedom. Uh, this freedom that Christ gives does not equal maturity. No? Okay? This freedom that Christ gives does not equal maturity. This freedom that Christ gives does not equal a life of wisdom. Uh. Okay, so don't, don't think that all those songs we sang that we are free to do this and know that and what Christ has done, those are all true, but it doesn't mean that your end game is a life of wisdom and maturity. Okay? Freedom does not equal that. All freedom, I, I'm not trying to debase freedom, I'm not trying to dilute freedom, but what freedom does is freedom gives you the opportunity to cultivate maturity. Freedom affords you the opportunity to live wisely. Okay? That's what freedom does. That's what Jesus has won for you. So now you remember that the example of Elijah and, and uh, the, the Israelites? There's this providence bit, this freedom bit. I bring you into the promised land. I give you an opportunity to cultivate good things. Now it's up to you to cultivate it. I bring you through the drought... And when the drought is over and the rains come, this is your opportunity to do your thing. This is your opportunity to live wisely. This is your opportunity because now you're free to do that. There's no more, no more ball of iron around your leg. You have been freed. Now you can run. But freedom doesn't mean you run. The running you've got to do yourself. Okay? I, I just want you to, to kind of collect that because we're, we're not, still not talking about merit here. But I just want to tell you what freedom does for you. Okay, it gives you the opportunity to live wisely. When I was given a clean bill of health, at least a clean bill for my colon, um, it liberated me, right? It gives me the opportunity to live properly now. It does not mean that I will live properly. Okay? So you got that? I, I think that's, that's pretty easy to understand. And that, that, that's why Paul says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now it makes a lot of sense. Right? You have been given a new lease of life. You have been brought into the family of Jesus. Right? All not through your own merit. But please, right? 
choose wisely. That's the message. Please choose wisely. Now you, now you see why Paul was so relentless, persistent, unyielding, in arguing, convincing, almost shouting, you are free. Don't go back. You are free. Don't go back. There's evidence of providence. Don't go back to futility. You have a new lease of life. The grass is greener. Life is more promising. Paul was so adamant about pushing that point across because he knows if you don't get until that point, there is no opportunity. There is no opportunity for you to move on. So that's why he was so uh, riled up to ensure that they got this right, that you are free because there is so much potential after you realize that you are free, that you are free. And that's why he fought so hard. There is evidence of providence. Christ has set us free. That freedom promises, promises us possibilities. Now, I just want to pause here. You know, through Jesus, we have been proclaimed righteous, so we are reconciled with God. So I, I want to be very careful that we're not going back into oh, running the race and all that to win God's favor. Okay? That part has been done. We are favored by God. Romans 5.10 says this, If while we were still enemies, uh, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more now shall we be saved by His life? So if Jesus in dying for you reconciled you, how much more shall you live now by His life? Okay? What I'm talking about here is not about that salvation that Jesus has won for you. Okay, what I'm talking about now is in terms of the possibilities afforded by this freedom that Jesus has won for you. I, I just want to give I just want to illustrate this very simply. How many of you want to live a fulfilling life? Okay, not all, it's quite worrying. Okay. Um, I don't know what the rest of you want to do with your life, but um, uh, I want to live a fulfilling life. Okay? I want to live a fulfilling life. And that's that's what Jesus is saying here. What, this, is what, this is what Paul is saying here. You have been given the opportunity to live a fulfilling life. Choose it, please. That's what he's saying. Okay? Choose it, please. Because, because with freedom, uh, with freedom comes uh, the choices, right? When I finally give uh, freedom to my son, when he's 18 or 16 or 15 or whatever, I will daily live with the tension that he may choose the wrong thing. I gotta live with that. That's what, that's what freedom is, what? right? I, I mean, he may he may he may want to he may choose to drive carefully, or he may choose to speed and try to impress the girl, right? Those are the choices he makes, and and what what can I do, right? It's it's his life and the choices that he makes. What I can do is to make sure that up until that point, I have given him all the opportunity to choose wisely. And that's what Jesus has done. He has given us the opportunity and now He says, please choose wisely. Now recently, um, my father was uh, hospitalized um, for three days because he had some uh, stomach problems. So now you know my family. Eh? Uh, the stomach is quite, 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 quite a problem. Uh, and my dad actually, when he was uh, much younger, maybe my age, he had, he had part of his colon cut out because... Um, he had, um, he had things, precancerous stuff inside his colon. 
And so recently when he was hospitalized, my dad is 71. Uh, I want to tell you one thing. That, that was also about the same time I was struggling with my own uh, medical thing. So I was working, work was tough, time was scarce. Um, do you think I visited my dad? <laughs> okay, I'm disappointed in you guys. Okay, I did. I visited my dad, okay? Uh, it was natural. It was natural for me to make time every night before 8.30. Nowadays, SGH is quite strict. Uh, or at least that's what they paste on the thing. Um, I, I, I visit him every day. Uh, I pray for him. I talk to him. Uh, and then I go back about 9.30. If you ask me if it was tough, I would tell you yes. It was very tough. Um, if you ask me what my motivator was, duty or love, I would tell you it was love. Right? I, didn't, I didn't feel a sense of duty to go and see my dad. I love my dad. Right? That's why I went to see him. Of course, if there was ever a textbook on filial piety, right? and, and under the section on if parent in hospital, you'll probably find a moral answer, please visit regularly, right? uh, as a filial son should. I can categorically tell you that I'm there not because I should, I'm there because I want to. I love my dad. And, and that, that's, that's basically what Paul goes, what Paul's want, wants to tell us uh, in the next few verses. Because I think, I think in the next few verses, when you see this, um, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep instead of the Spirit. I, I don't want you guys to go away thinking that this is some textbook obligation thing. Actually, after my dad's experience, I find this, this totally makes sense to me. If I want to grow in the way God wants me to grow, if I want to lead a fulfilling life, if I want to maximize the opportunities that Christ has made available through giving me the freedom, the key is that relationship with God. Paul asked a very rhetorical question in the earlier chapter. If you start with the Spirit, how come you don't want to end with the Spirit? Right? If it was an act of grace and it was a relationship and it was all based on a reconciliation, how come now you're trying to get out of the family and do your own thing? And, and so I want to I just suggest to you that verse 16 here and verse 25, those that are shown on, this, this is talking about please cultivate that relationship with the Spirit. Please walk in step with the Spirit. If you start with the Spirit, please walk in step with the Spirit. And that, that is, well, let's, let's say, hypothetically, let's say my dad has two sons. All right? My dad really has two sons. But I don't want to use my elder brother as an example. Okay? But let's say my dad has two sons. Now, I visit him out of love. The other son uh, visits him out of, because he read the textbook, right? And he thought, must go. Um, now, three days in hospital is no big deal, right? Three months in hospital, three years in hospital. You, I think you will tell the difference. You will be able to tell the difference. And because the mo my, my, my firm conviction is that anything that's motivated by love lasts a lot longer than anything that's motivated by something else. Right? Uh, and, and really, how did I come to a point where I can say so confidently that I love my dad and I visit him out? Because of the relationship. Right? All this while, uh, especially since my illness, when I thought that uh, life is really short and all that, I have been organizing all kinds of uh, family get-togethers, 
I've been buying, I've been wanting to buy salad for them, brown rice. They all hate me for that. Uh, and I, I've been telling them, you gotta, you got to live well and I want to spend time with you and may not see you for very long and all that kind of morbid stuff, right? Uh, and that relationship got so much closer. Of course, it didn't start in three months. Uh, I have been having uh, daily drives with my dad uh, for a long time when he fetched me here and fetched me there and all that kind of thing. And that's the relationship. Okay? Um, it can't be obligation. Obligation won't get you there. So please don't live in the flesh and hope to run this Christian life with the obligation. Um, I, I work in uh, Shenton Way and uh, my, my office overlooks uh, Capel Harbour. And although I worked there so many years, I've never seen this happen until recently when I was just looking out the window and I saw there's this very tiny or very tight, um, deep harbour and then a huge ship came in and then uh, as the huge empty ship came in, then all the cranes, right? You'll see it loading the containers. And then here's the most fascinating thing. Because it was such a tight corner, right? You were just, after you watched him fill for a few, uh, uh, a few hours, when you turn to look, how is this guy going to get out, right? Because it's such a tight corner. And then uh, a small pilot boat will come and start pushing the ship's backside. Okay, okay I don't have a proper term for that. Lah. But you know the back of the ship. And as it pushes, the ship swivels uh, like this, right? Almost on its own. And it pushes, 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 pushes and the other guy faced outside again. And then he went out, right? And uh, that, 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 that picture was during my quiet time. I was just looking out. It spoke a lot of personal things to me. But I just wanted to share something with you that, that sometimes this is, this is exactly what we mean by just walking in the Spirit, just coming into harbour, be still daily. Let the Lord resource you with containers, fill you, turn you around in the right direction, and then kick you out again, right? Or, or move you out again. Uh, and that, that is that bit that will help you uh, walk in the Spirit. There's nothing, there's nothing formulaic about it. I don't, I don't want to be very formulaic about these things. Because a relationship cannot be formula-driven. Okay? It's a lot to do with your chemistry and who God is and what works for you. But really, my appeal to you today is you need to really put effort into walking with God, cultivating that relationship with God. Because when you are f- now that you are free, the motivator, if it's love, wow, you will get to your end destination in a, in a, very, in a very meaningful way because I trust that all of us want to, at the end of the day, be able to look at God and say, wow, with your help, I led a very fulfilling life. Thank God I led a very fulfilling life. Thank God for the, the wise choices I made. Thank God for the things I, I, I got from God mentoring me and teaching me. The last, the last um, verse I want to show you uh, is this one. What counts in the end? According to verse 6, at the end there, it says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 13 says, Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And 26, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What's it saying? I think this, this, this is kind of the end game that when we are walking in the Spirit, this is what will come out. Okay? So this is just a gauge. This is not something 
to aim for, I would say. As you walk in the Spirit, I think these are the, amongst other things, the fruit of the Spirit that will come out. Love, joy, peace, patience. Those things will come out. And in the relationships that you have, they will come out. So this, this, this is just a good guide from, from Paul to tell you, if you see a lot of sexual immorality coming out of you, if you see a lot of debauchery coming out of you, if you see a lot of vicious words coming out of you, if you see a lot of um, um, vulgarity or, or wicked thoughts or selfishness coming out of you, it doesn't mean, I would say, if you have received the Lord Jesus, I believe His work is sufficient for you, it doesn't mean that you are going to hell. Okay? It just means that you are probably not walking in the Spirit. That means Jesus gave you a new lease of life, but you are making the wrong choices. So these are good indicators for you to please come back. Okay? And I, I'm telling you from first-hand experience, we, do, we are really not immortal. Okay? So where you got time, come back. Where you got time, treasure the things that matter. Where you got time, come back. So that, that, that outflow from your life, uh, uh, the sinful nature bit, that will tell you that, hey, time to come back into the harbor. Time to be containerized. Time to be resourced. Time to be turned around. Time to be going in another direction. Okay? But if you see that in increasing measure, you are able to serve people in love, you are able to uh, either shut up or say good things, right? Uh, and, and your thoughts, because of what you're filling it with, are becoming more godly. Then the Lord encourages you, continue to walk in that way. Continue to come into the harbor every day, refuel, go out. So these are two very, hopefully, practical things to help you gauge where you are. Not meant to put you on a guilt trip. Salvation bit is done if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's now about with the newfound freedom, the new lease of life you got, the, the, the hope, uh, the truth that liberates you to hope now, what are the choices you're going to make? And the choices that you make today, what are they yielding? And they're yielding not the things that you want to yield, then go back and relook those choices and do them again. Okay? Clear or not? Okay. Anyone say again? <laughs> okay, no. no, yeah. No time, Ray. Uh, I just want to invite the musicians to come up and uh, to sing that, that, that song. Um, we have a response song. If we could rise. I just want to open the altar for people to respond. And today I just have two, uh, two to call. Of course, I want to also be very open with you guys. The altar is between you and God. Okay? Uh, you don't always have to respond to it only based on what the speaker says. If there's something you want to deal with and come to before God with, uh, feel free to do that. Okay? But today I just want to uh, issue two specific ones. Um, one is uh, this new lease of life thing. If there are people in our midst who do not yet know Jesus, right? This is awesome, right? This is awesome. This new lease of life thing, you, you cannot imagine what it means uh, until you experience it. And if you, are, if you have been listening and you have been thinking about the claims of Jesus or, 
about life in general. And if you want this new lease of life, because you know, in, in certain parts of our life, we need providence. And in certain parts, yes, you can work in partnership with God. Let me tell you, to free ourselves, we need providence. Can't do it ourselves. Can't perform. It's clear. So that's the first one. If you want that new lease of life through Jesus, you come forward and uh, respond. The second one is for Christians. You know, just, just now as we were worshipping and all that, I had this mental picture of a well. Uh, a well. You draw water from the well. And uh, um, I just want to invite those who, who have been maybe trying to look for your own source of water. I don't know. Right? Maybe you're trying to dig your own well. And I just, I just believe that the Lord is saying, come back. Come back to the well that you started with. Right? Draw water from me. Jesus promises that when he who receives Jesus out, his, out of his belly, right? out of his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. So come back to that well if you have been uh, running around looking for other wells or trying to dig your own well. Jesus wants to invite you to come back to that well. If any of these categories fit you, just come forward as we're singing that song. I want to pray with you. And it's also a good thing for you to respond to the Word of God and say, yes, I want that new lease of life. Or yes, I want to come back to the well. I want to come back to the harbor. I want to come back to be resourced. I want to come back to making wise choices. Okay? Let's uh, just ask Tripping the leaders in that song and uh, just leave the altar open. Feel free to come forward.
are the one who died. You're the one who died and rose again, my God and King, until the end. My state of sin, no blood erased, my life redeemed, Lord, to lead us in this wonderful song again I think it's very meaningful uh, and you can just worship from where you are but if there's anyone else who wants to respond we just want to give you a time, the time to come forward and uh, after that I'll close okay let's sing this song again A Reef of Thorns A Reef of Thorns Thank you, Jesus.
pray. Jesus, we thank you, O oh Lord. We just continue to ask that, Lord, you will reveal more and more of yourself to us. Oh Lord, we, we know there's, there's so much more that you have in store for us. And I pray, I pray for all of us here. Oh Lord, teach us to treasure the freedom, to appreciate the freedom that you have won for us and free us, Lord, to make godly choices. I really want to pray for each and every one of us here that, Lord, today you will deposit that truth in our lives that, Lord, we want. We want to make godly choices. We want to live well because you have made it possible, Lord. You have made it possible for us to live well. Father, help us. Help us in making those choices that bring delight to your heart. Oh Lord, I want to pray that Lord, we will cultivate. We will cultivate habit, the habits of relationship with you. Oh Lord, help us to spend time. Help us to commit time. Help us to be willing to put effort into coming into your harbor, into being resourced by you, into waiting upon you. Lord, I pray that upon your people and myself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.